0: And, oh, I didn't mean it. It's no big deal. It doesn't really matter. But I didn't mean it. And it does matter. That's why so I you, said so
1: it. you, So you undermine yourself and yeah. everybody knows it's bullshit anyway.
0: And it confuses them. And now I'm in the worst place of all, manipulative insincerity, where I'm neither caring nor challenging. And that's where the drama comes in. If you watch The Office or the HBO show, Silicon Valley, you're going to see a lot of episodes about obnoxious aggression and manipulative insincerity. But the fact of the matter is the vast majority of us make the vast majority of our mistakes in this last quadrant, where we do remember to show that we care personally, because most people are actually pretty nice, despite everything you see on social media. But we're so concerned about not hurting someone's feelings that we fail to tell them something they'd be better off knowing in the long run. And that's the quadrant that I call ruinous empathy and that's where the vast majority of us make the vast majority of our mistakes
1: welcome to the mastering overwhelm podcast i'm mark silverman if you're dealing with the crushing responsibilities of running a business leading a team all while trying to live life you're in the right place our job is to help you thrive in your business relationships and your personal well-being please enjoy the show before we begin i have something for you have you not read only tens 2.0 yet If you've been listening to the show, my guess is you have read it. Would you like to give away a copy to someone you care about? Someone who's struggling with time and energy management? Someone who needs to focus on the important things? Well, if you go to markjsilverman.com, click on the red resource buttons, we have put a free copy of OnlyTens 2.0 for you to download, and you can upload it onto your electronic device of choice. I hope you enjoy so if you've been following me for a while and listening to this show or read my book or know anything about me, Tim Ferriss' saying, everything you want is on the other side of a difficult conversation is my motto. As you know, I've always been all things to all people, only all the time because I could and because I couldn't set boundaries and I couldn't have these difficult conversations. So writing the book only tens and creating the Mastering Overwhelm Workshop, for me, I got a PhD in how to speak my mind, how to speak my truth. People know where they stand with me. I'm now really good at that. Nobody would ever know that I was a people pleaser. In fact, I piss people off way more than I make them happy a lot of the time. So when I got to got to actually have my next guest on the program, I jumped at the chance. Because some people like superhero movies, some people like to crochet. I like to research having tough conversations Because again, my greatest weakness now is my greatest strength. And if you want to get out of overwhelm, if you want to be a leader in an organization, you have to learn how to do this. So my guest, Kim Scott, is the author of Just Work, How to Root Out Bias, Prejudice, and Bullying to build a kick-ass culture of inclusivity. That's her new book. That's incredible, and she's gonna bring that in now. But the reason I asked her on is because of the book, Radical Candor, which I know you've heard of. Be a kick-ass boss without losing your humanity. And she's the co-founder of Radical Candor, which by the way, all those links are gonna be in the show notes. There's all kinds of resources and great stuff for you to get go deeper with him. She was a CEO coach of Dropbox and Qualtrics, Twitter, and other tech companies. She was on the faculty of Apple University. She led AdSense, YouTube, DoubleClick. She's probably rolling her eyes right now with all her accomplishments and other teams at Google. So she's been in the thick of it. The really fun thing was she started a diamond cutting factory in Moscow and now lives in her family with Silicon Valley. After all that, Kim, thank you for being on the show.
0: Thank you so much. Really an honor to be here.
1: So my big question is, I come to these radical candor and these honest conversations from being a people pleaser. From being a doormat, did, were you a bull in a china closet, or were you in a doormat? Which direction did you? i was I was uh, ruinous sympathy was
0: me with maybe a little dose of manipulative insincerity. Look, I was raised as a female in the South and definitely not brought up to to be a bull in a china shop. And the thing I struggled with more than anything else when I first became a leader, was you know saying what I really thought, knowing when I had to tell people no, knowing when I had to give people guidance that they weren't doing well enough. It came relatively natural naturally for me to to praise people, but I had to make sure the praise felt sincere to them.
1: Sure. So so I'm curious. Your career was pretty stellar before you learned some of these tools. What was the shift that actually said, you know what, I really need to learn to have a little more empathy to care a little more while I'm giving a little, little dose of uh, honesty there. What what was the pivot point?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think for me the the empathy and caring was was something I naturally did. What what I struggled with was the challenging was challenging okay. directly. And I think that the real moment for me came when I I was I had just started a software company and I came into the office one day and I got the same article emailed to me from 10 different people. And they said, we would, the article explained that most people would rather have a boss. Am I allowed to curse on your
1: Please, show? please. Okay. I, I just asked, I was just interviewed on another guy's podcast, a Christian guy. And I was like, can I curse on your podcast? He's like, if it yeah. needed. I'm-
0: <laughs> yeah. So the article said that people would rather have a boss who's a total asshole but really competent than one who's really nice but incompetent. And I thought, are they sending me this because they think I'm a jerk or because they think I'm incompetent? And surely those are not my two choices. So I think that was the moment oh, wow. when I really started wrestling with this. Because there must be a third way, right? There must be a way where you can both be where you can both care and challenge at the same time. And uh, around that same time, I I had gotten a puppy, and I loved this puppy, and I loved her so much that I'd never said a cross word to her. As a result, she was totally out of control. And I'm taking her for a walk one night, and she jumps in front of a speeding cab. I pulled her out of the way in the nick of time, and a man, a perfect stranger, was watching this. And he said, I can tell you really love that dog, but he said, you're going to kill that dog if you don't teach her to sit. And then he says, sir, the dog sat. I had no idea she even knew what that meant. And I kind of looked up at him in amazement, and he said, it's not mean, it's clear. And then the light changed and he walked off, leaving me with kind of a way out of that conundrum that that where I could continue to, to be kind, but really give people very direct feedback.
1: Yeah, learn with children and dogs, and it's really hard to bring it in. You'd ne- you know, grown men and women who have tons of responsibility and tons of accomplishment get all sheepish when it comes to actually speaking their truth or the truth that needs to be said in order to help someone grow. Yeah. Uh, and, and so let, let's go to the basics of radical candor because my one of the I love the stories that you tell about how you're being spoofed as radical candor is, is an excuse to be an asshole. Yes. Like that's yes. not it. That's just not, that's just not it. So give me the basics of what radical candor is.
0: So radical candor is what happens when you care personally and challenge directly at the same time. So that's radical candor. And it's useful to think about what radical candor is not. So sometimes we remember to challenge directly, but we forget to show that we care personally. And that I call obnoxious aggression. You can imagine a two by two mm-hmm. grip. So on the vertical line is care personally, horizontal line is challenged directly. Upper right-hand quadrant is radical Candor, bottom right-hand quadrant is obnoxious aggression. And in an earlier version of the book, I called that the asshole quadrant because it seemed more, I don't know, clear. But I stopped doing that for a really important reason. I stopped doing that because I found that when I did, people would use this framework to start writing names in boxes. And I beg of you, don't use this framework that way. This is not another Myers-Briggs personality test use this framework like a compass to guide specific conversations with specific people to a better place so that's two quadrants now very often i don't know about you but when i find that i have fallen into the obnoxious aggression quadrant which despite my intention to be kind i do at least once it's
1: politics that's the like my son my son jokes he's like dad you're such a zen master you're so grounded and centered except around politics and then you turn into a (laughs) crazy person
0: yeah yeah, yeah and, and so part of what happens, I think, is very often when I find that I have been that I have acted like a jerk, it's not my instinct to go the right way on care personally, which is what I ought to do. Instead, I zoom the wrong way on challenge directly. and, oh, I didn't mean it. It's no big deal. It doesn't really matter. But I didn't mean it. And it does matter. That's why I
1: said it. So you undermine yourself and everybody knows it's bullshit anyway.
0: And it confuses them. And now I'm in the worst place of all, manipulative insincerity, where I'm neither caring nor challenging. And that's where the drama comes in. Mm -hmm. Uh, if, if If you watch The Office or the HBO show Silicon Valley, you're going to see a lot of episodes about obnoxious aggression and manipulative insincerity. But the fact of the matter is the vast majority of us make the vast majority of our mistakes in this last quadrant, where we do remember to show that we care personally, because most people are actually pretty nice, despite everything you see on social media. So we do remember to show that we care personally, but we're so concerned about not hurting someone's feelings that we fail to tell them something they'd be better off knowing in the long run. And that's the quadrant that I call ruinous empathy. And that's where the vast majority of us make the vast majority of our mistakes. It sounds like that's where you started off and ruinous empathy, that certainly is where I started off in ruinous empathy.
1: I love the diagram, and we're going to put a picture of it, and there's going to be links so that you guys can look at this directly while, while Kim is talking. First of all, you make it so simple with the diagram. I can look at something and say, I need to just bring up my caring a little bit. I still need to say this, but I just need to remember they're a human being. And in the book, you talk about different ways to get closer and to deepen those relationships and the trust to be able to speak those kinds of things and to have that capital with with the person you're talking to. I'm usually brought in, the call I get is, from the CEO is, Mark, this person on my leadership team, uh, they're uber talented, they're crazy, but they're a bull in the china closet. They're driving me crazy. You know, help, would you please teach these yeah. some manners? So the first, first month, I get a call from the CEO, and this happens over and over and over again. What'd you do, Mark? It's amazing. They're, the transformation is crazy. What did, you know, like, what did you do? And basically, it was a 360, and I just told them they were an asshole, and they have to stop it. They're <laughs> not the CEO, and you know, cut it out.
0: Hopefully, the CEO is not an asshole either.
1: You know, again, as I tell them, they're not coaching the CEO. I'm not coaching the CEO. I'm coaching you. So you have we have to work in a vacuum, right? Yeah. And some CEO, I have I work with a bunch of CEOs who are wonderful, and then they have that tendency to be an asshole, and they're working on it, but they're still wonderful, but they're still an asshole. But anyway, what happens with with these with these people that I work with, is all about. Three months in, two, three months in, they start to talk about how, you know, I'm getting along with everybody better. I'm doing this, you know, I'm, I'm learning enrollment skills, all this stuff. But I feel so inauthentic. I just feel like I'm angry, and but I, I use my emotional intelligence and all this stuff. Yeah. That's when the pendulum swings where I turn them into these toast people. And now I have to bring it back to, we want to be real. And I love what you said, you know, like we want to be real, we want to be direct, we want to be caring, we want people to know who we are. If we're angry, we want anger to come up, but we want it to be responsible. And I think that's how you're guiding people is because I think one of the things you say is when we first get into the workforce, we're told to be professional. Which means we leave half of ourselves at home. We leave. at least
0: half, all, right. and usually the better half. You're leaving. You're leaving who you really are. You're leaving your emotions. You're leaving your humanity at home. And you can't possibly care personally about others if you're leaving your humanity at home.
1: So I I, I love that. So that and that means if you're going to bring that part, care personally, you're going to bring all the parts to, of yourself to the work. So I think that's I think that's brilliant.
0: Before we move it, move on, can I respond to something you, you said? Because I think it's really really important very often when we talk about being authentic people confuse that for meaning i can do or say whatever i want and it's irrelevant how it lands on the on the other person the (laughs) so-called
1: truth tellers
0: yeah that is not authenticity that's just obnoxious aggression and so when i say use the radical candor framework like a compass to guide specific conversations with specific people to a better place Part of what I mean by that is you wanna make sure that if the other person is sad or mad, that you're moving up on the care personally dimension, Mm -hmm. that you're not saying, you know, don't take it personally. In fact, I beg of everyone listening, just eliminate that phrase from your vocabulary. Like we spend more time at work than we do in just about any other part of our lives. And when it doesn't go well, of course it can feel like a gut punch. And that doesn't mean that we're unprofessional, it just means that we care about our work. And that's something you wanna encourage. But there's something else that can happen, sometimes a person will just brush you off you know you've worked up your courage to say the thing and they just don't hear you. And then you need to go further out on the challenge directly dimension, than you may be comfortable going so like being aware of which vector to choose is is part of staying authentic to yourself but also making sure that you remember that radical candor gets measured not at your mouth but at the other person's ear. So you have to pay attention to what's going on for the other person. And I think very often we tend to assume that when we communicate we can we can ignore all the emotional signals and only pay attention to rationale of what we're saying. But when we communicate, we communicate on two planes at once. One is intellectual, the other is emotional. And if you ignore the other person's emotional signals, you're just not going to communicate very well. So it's, it's, it's not really that complicated. And yet, it feels very complicated.
1: It does. I, I I often teach my people. You know, if you're present, if I can get you to be present in your body, present in the room, you can watch what's. You can see what's happening with the people in the room. Whether they're you know shrinking, whether they're expanding, whether they're whether they're listening, whether they're tensing up. If you're present, if you're not present, you're you're losing half yeah. the battle. Yeah,
0: and you want to be present in your own body as well. I mean, very often I'll be so angry that my heart rate is elevated and not aware of it. And then that, you know, if, if I can learn to be aware of that, then it's much less likely that I'm going to fall into obnoxious aggression or pull into kind of a self-protective manipulative insincerity.
1: What do you, what do, you do to talk yourself off the ledge and get yourself back to some semblance of groundedness and centeredness?
0: I think the first thing is, as you say, just awareness and and the the time that well, you see I'm wearing an aura ring. So sometimes I'll look at my heart. I'll look at my heart rate. I'm not aware of it. The other moment in my career occurred when I was I was pregnant with twins and I couldn't allow my heart rate to go over. I forgot some number. And so I had to wear a heart rate monitor and it would beep if my heart rate was getting too high.
1: (laughs) And warning for everybody around you. too. Yes,
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> Watch out. She's getting mad. And I was one day sitting alone in my office and I got an email that made me mad. And I, I was starting to reply to it. I hadn't even stood up from my desk and the heart rate monitor went off. And I was like, wow, that was really very useful because I was about to write something not so great. So I think remembering sort of someone gave me some feedback. Feedback also helps. Like that's part of the reason why feedback is helpful is because it makes you more aware. Someone once said to me, "Kim, you're awfully fast to hit send." And someone oh. else then said to me, "If it feels too good to hit send, stop." <laughs> you know, because sometimes you'll fire off a real I've z-
1: never heard that that's yeah, so good.
0: It's really good. Like you'll you'll type out a real zinger and 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 that's exactly the thing you shouldn't say. <laughs> if it feels too good to hit send, stop. So if you feel like you're struggling with stuff, like ask the especially if you're a manager, the people who are working for you are watching you very closely, probably as closely as anyone except perhaps your children are are ever gonna watch you. And and if you make it safe for them, if you not only make it safe, but if 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 you make it if you encourage them and reward them. For telling you what they observe, you'll learn a lot about how to sort of walk yourself off the ledge because they'll be aware of the signals that you're sending before you are.
1: Nice. So let's go. Let's go to feedback. That, that's one of the things that's so hard for even CEOs. Like I'll, I'll talk to a CEO of a billion dollar company, yeah, and they and they, they still stumble over giving tough feedback. Yes. How they do, do. You, how do you teach people to give good feedback?
0: I think there are there's kind of an order of operations to creating a culture of feedback and you want to think about it in terms of creating a culture not just you giving it so the first step in the order of operations is to solicit feedback don't dish Mm -hmm. it out before you prove that you can take it if you can create an organization In which people know that you genuinely want to hear when you're screwing up and that you will reward them for telling you and that you will either fix the problem or you will, you will explain to them why you disagree in a respectful way. That is really important. And so there's a few things that I would encourage. I'm going to kind of double click. Can I double click on soliciting feedback for a minute?
1: No, I actually, I was just going to double click on it because I think that's so important in setting, you've got to set the culture first. Yeah. And once people understand that that is the culture that we are going to speak to each other and the person may or may not agree with the feedback and yeah. they get you get to have a conversation about it but if this if the leadership is in on this now it's a two-way street.
0: Exactly. And and very often leaders will ask me how can I teach my team to respond well to feedback. I'm like, you can start by soliciting it and responding well, (laughs) lead by by example. So there's four things to keep in mind when you solicit feedback. And by the way, the best moment to solicit feedback is at the end of every one-on-one that you have, let your people, let your direct reports get through their agenda items first. But towards the end of the meeting, save five minutes to solicit feedback. One thing to keep in mind is, how are you going to ask? What is your go-to question? So for example, I like to say, what could I do or stop doing that would make it easier to work with me? And I'm going to ask you that at the end of this. So fair fair warning. So that's my question. But if you ask my question, people won't believe you really want to know the answer, because you're going to sound like Kim Scott and not like yourself. and, And that's not great. So you wanna think about how you're gonna ask. I was working with Krista Quarles when she was the CEO of Open Table and she said, Kim, I could never imagine your words coming out of my mouth. The question I like to ask is, tell me why I'm wrong. Okay, that's fine too, (laughs) that works. But remember, back to to what we were just saying, you gotta make sure that you adjust for the person who you're talking to. So there were a couple of people on Krista's team who felt like that was such an aggressive way for her to ask that it shut them down. Right. When I started Radical Candor with Jason Rosoff, he told, told me after we had worked together for a little bit that he really didn't like my go-to question. The question he he wanted something more time-bound and more specific. So I needed to say, Jason, I'm working on not interrupting people so often. Can you tell me how many times oh, you have nice. You know, or whatever. So it needed to be more specific for him. I think another couple of important points about your go-to question is make sure that you that it can't be answered with a yes or a no. Because if you say, "Do you have any feedback for me?" I can already tell you the answer. Oh no, everything's fine. And in fact, in the book, if you read the book. I did not phrase the question in an optimal way. I said, "Is there anything I could do or stop doing?" And somebody gave me some feedback. You write a book about feedback; you're going to get a lot of it. And and explained it's better to say, "What could I do?" Because you can't answer that with a yes or a no. So that's a few. Those are a few thoughts on your go-to question. If everyone listening, if you're not driving, take out a pen and write down your question and who you're going to ask it of and when you're going to ask them. If you all do that then our time today together will have been extremely well spent. Just solicit feedback. So that's sort of step number one in the order of operations. Now, step number two is you wanna make sure that you're giving both praise and criticism. I think one of the dangers about the stories I tell in Radical Candor is that the ones where I'm, where my boss is giving me feedback, criticism in particular resonate more so they tend to think it's all about the boss criticizing the employee that's sure. not what and that's you
1: done. that's you being vulnerable in the in the book anyway which I really appreciated you kind of saying some of the places where you've been slapped on the slapped of the head yeah yeah and that's it's been very, very useful long. yeah more, more and, by, and by some by some pretty badass people <laughs> <laughs> they
0: they luckily they were radically candid they were I've been I've been pretty lucky they were they were pretty kind. So anyway, the thing you wanna do, you wanna think about when giving radical candor is first of all, what's the best moment to give, either praise or criticism. And the best feedback I've ever gotten in my career has always happened in these impromptu two-minute conversations. So you don't wanna save it up for your one-on-one meeting and you definitely don't wanna save it up for a performance review. You wanna make sure that you're thinking very clearly about giving it in the moment. Now of course everything I'm saying can there there are exceptions. Like if, sure. if the other person is super upset then wait, you know, until, until a better moment. But by and large when we say oh I'm going to wait, you know, to tell them I'm going to wait for a better moment, what we're really meaning is I'm never going to have this conversation. So in general it's better to do it in these impromptu 2-minute conversations. And that's tricky. Like there's no way for you to create some kind of HR system that is going to, that is going to intervene in these impromptu conversations. They have to come from the heart, right? And, and you have to encourage, that's why soliciting feedback will encourage people to, to get, to build the habit of feedback. Now, when you go into these conversations for both praise and criticism, you want to make sure you're being humble. I call it candor and not truth because truth is risky. if I say to you I'm going to tell you the truth I'm kind of implying. I'm very
1: skeptical of anybody who's a self-proclaimed truth teller
0: yeah yeah I'm I'm kind of implying that I have a pipeline to God and you don't really know anything and that's not a great way to create a conversation and remember this is a conversation it's a dialogue not a monologue so you want to be humble you want to state your intention to be helpful you want to to do it but usually right away In the before times i used to say do it in person now i say do it synchronously have and be conscious of whether it's better to pick up the phone and have a phone call or to have a video call there are times when in fact if you're in person i recommend taking a walk so you're not staring at each other and uh, because sometimes we misinterpret each other's facial expressions and Mm -hmm. body language and also there's something about looking it's sort of sitting across the table from someone and looking them in the eye, that can feel aggressive, that can feel that can feel hostile. Mm-hmm. And so if you're walking in the same direction, that can be better. And if you can't be in person physically, sometimes taking a virtual walk and talking on the phone can be better than a video. But be, make, make a conscious decision about the medium you're gonna use. Do not send praise or criticism. Praise is okay, but you wanna do that in person as well as sending it out over email or text. But criticism, you do not wanna give someone asynchronously over email or text or Slack. Slack is a a disaster for feedback. Isn't it though? And so is text and so is email. It always feels faster and feels safer and then it explodes. So
1: Slack Slack is just a disaster to me anyway.
0: It's useful for some things, but I have
1: have ADD. So like, uh, like, uh, like uh, I start to get lost in the, in the teams and all that. And it's
0: it's like, uh,
1: can someone just text me, please, when it's important?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Look, different, different teams have different, Uh, I'm not going to knock the whole technology, but don't, don't use it for, don't use some, I built some tools to give, you know, big mistake, don't give feedback. In, in an asynchronous way. Nice. Uh, you also want to praise in public, criticize in private. And last but not least, you never want to give someone either praise or criticism about personality attributes that are very difficult to change. You want to sort of use context, observation, result, next steps to make sure that you're, you're giving feedback that about things that people can change, people can take action on, people can fix nice Uh, there's also the sbi model situation behavior impact from center for creative leadership same right so you're
1: you're, you're quoting this because i was going to say so how do you keep it from being a shit sandwich
0: yeah so let's talk about praise and criticism what i say is focus on the good stuff there's all kinds of different research that says you need to give twice as much three times as much five times as much seven times as much praise as criticism and the problem with the the shit sandwich or any of those other ratios is that pretty soon people start to use the praise as the gateway to criticism right. and praise is important on it's, its, like, own. it's like
1: you're holding it's all, you're holding up the shock collar you're ready yeah. for it
0: yeah yeah and and also people tend to say you know oh kim i like your bookshelves the books that you wrote kind of suck but nice purple t-shirt like that that kind of they tend to offer praise about things that are insignificant. And that doesn't really make me feel any better. It it feels, that feels insincere. So you wanna make sure that your praise is specific and sincere and that your criticism is kind and clear. And you wanna make sure also that you remember that praise can be radically candid as surely as criticism can. It can challenge people to do more of what's great. Praise can give me, and, give me an
1: example of that. I like that. Give me, can you give me an example of that?
0: Yeah, I mean, so for example, I was in a meeting and it, there was a there was a big debate a, around something, and I have a I had a very strong point of view that we should do this. But in the meeting, I gave both I gave the pros and cons to both sides. I, I tried to be sort of fair to both sides, and I wasn't sure if I had done the right thing. I was like, maybe I should have fought more. And, and at the end, my boss said to me in the meeting. When you offered both sides of the argument, you really earned a lot of credibility so that's an example so do more of that like do that again next time I didn't know I wasn't sure whether I had done the right thing or the wrong thing so that was really helpful to know. And there's a world of difference if she had just said Kim great meeting great job you're a genius like I wouldn't have known what exactly. You know, so you want to make sure that you're being really specific. You're using that context observation result with your praise, as well as with your criticism. In the same meeting, that was also the same meeting where I said, I'm too much. And my boss at the end said, in the meeting, when you said I'm every third word, it made you sound stupid. World of difference between saying so, that- Hold on, then- you, you,
1: most people haven't read the book. If you haven't read the book and you're listening, that was Cheryl Sandborg uh, <laughs> saying to her, you sound stupid (laughs) (laughs) after she just you remember where she worked after she's been already presenting for years this is
0: at google this is at google yeah like this
1: is this is this is not this is not you know at burger king you (laughs) the hamburger is wrong so it was it was it was quite it was quite good actually that i love that example because the example was you know, she started off being really soft, you know, do you know, you say, um, and you were like, I'm, I'm good with it. Yeah, I was like,
0: who you know, cares?
1: Brushing well, he, her off. Right. And if you'd like to work work with a, with a presentation coach, I have a great one for you. And you're like, I'm fine. Leave me alone. And yeah. then she says, no, I'm not yeah. just asking you, you sound <laughs> stupid, and, and, but you needed that to wake up. And that was so appreciative because it changed the direction of your life. Like now you're on stage all the time, all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah which don't I don't hear you say
0: ever. <laughs> I do still occasionally, but it's way less. And, and the other important thing about that and the way she did it to remember is that she never would have said it makes you sound stupid to other people on her team who were better listeners than I was. But she knew that that with me, she had to. I was brushing her off. She had to keep going out on that challenge directly to mention. To get through to me and it happens i mean one of the most common slow motion train wrecks that i see managers having is they think they've told someone they said something like oh you said i'm a lot and the person brushed them off and they stopped there and that is not good enough if someone is not hearing you you need to keep trying until you either decide that you've done everything you can and that they're never gonna hear you. And then you need to start a performance improvement plan and managing them out. Or you haven't tried hard enough, and then you gotta keep trying harder.
1: I was coaching CSO, six foot five guy, former professional athlete. And part of his problem was anger issues. And he's a huge guy, right? And people were just scared of him. And he, you know, Mark, you gotta, you gotta teach him to use his words, right? Like and all that stuff. Yeah. And after after about a month, I said, you know what? When was the last time you were at the gym? And he's like, oh, a couple of years ago. And you know, I've just been busy and all that stuff. And I'm like, I said, I'm not going to coach you until you've been to the gym eight times. <laughs> you must go to the gym. I'm not. We're not going to have our next meeting unless yeah. you've been to the gym eight times. I want you to take a picture of yourself at the gym. It's not for me to be checking up on you. I just want it to be fun. So take a funny picture and be at the gym. So he he does it. He comes back, he's feeling great. Four months later, we're having a meeting with his CEO. And his CEO is just his she goes just tells me how he's changed, he's shifted, and all that stuff. Cause I said, You're like a five-year-old ADHD kid who needs recess. Yeah. Like yeah. I can't play whack-a-mole with your emotions until yeah. you get that stuff out. So do that. So four months later, he looks amazing, dropped a bunch of weight, been going to the gym regularly, right? And the CEO's saying how his behavior changed. And then he says, And he looks amazing too. Oh my God. Like, that's great. And my guy goes, yeah, that's because he called me a fat fuck. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And I'm like, I did not, (laughs) like, I did not say that, but somehow I said it in a way that this guy heard it this gruff guy heard it. Right. So sometimes you really do have to like break through if you're going to make, make a difference to someone
0: yeah yeah and i think also it's really helpful to get people to figure out like what it what do they need to do to stay centered
1: mm-hmm. what do
0: they need to do so that their anger doesn't spill out and send them into the obnoxious you call it,
1: you call it the re- you know your own personal re- what yeah, is your, your own, own recipe personal. for staying centered
0: yeah like for me i've got to take a walk which i just took which is why i'm a little sweaty And I've got to sleep at least eight, ideally nine hours a night. I need a lot of sleep. And I need to have a meal with someone I love. So ideally, Uh yeah, yeah. Those, If I do those three things, if I do those three things, no matter what's going on in my life, I I can manage to mostly stay centered. Sometimes I need to add a second workout. A second walk if I'm really stressed. And it's interesting because the instinct is the opposite. When when things are really going haywire to sleep less, to exercise less, that's when you should double Definitely. down on your recipe, actually, when, when you're really stressed or, or when your situation is really stressful. But everybody's recipe is different. I one time worked on a team. There was a guy on the team whose child was having to have brain surgery that summer. And he said, "What I really need to do is to take a walk in daylight hours with my wife." And that doesn't sound like an extravagant request from one's personal life. But the, that team—it was—we it, were working at a consulting firm and we were working sixteen hours a day, so that seemed impossible. And and we all promised that we were going to make it possible for him to do that every day. And we did. And as a result, the project was on track and he was able to stay centered. So try that with your team. Ask everyone, what is, what do you need to do to stay centered? Because the fastest way to wind up in obnoxious aggression, in my experience, is to be, to, to sort of get out of, out of, you know, uncentered. To... Hungry,
1: angry, lonely, and tired, as we say Yeah, in AA. yeah.
0: And I get angry if I don't exercise, and I get tired if I don't sleep. So, what do you need to do to not get hungry, angry, lonely, tired?
1: I you know. For me, I need at least a half hour to forty-five minutes alone before it gets light out. Whether mm-hmm. I'm journaling, whether I'm meditating, whatever I'm doing, I just need some because I'm such an introvert. I need to somehow ground i tell people i'm not a naturally happy person i'm not a naturally loving person i may i create that guy in the yeah. morning yeah. so that i am that guy when i show up in the world and then at a certain point during the day must walk my dogs take a shower be done yeah <laughs> right yeah. Like, so it's it's really interesting so before i before i let you go and maybe maybe you'll even come back and talk about it tell me about your new book just work
0: so the new book was born after i got some feedback about radical candor i was giving a talk at a tech company in san francisco and the ceo of that company had been a colleague of mine for the better part of a decade a person i like and respect enormously and one of too few black women ceos in tech and when i was finished giving the radical candor talk she pulled me aside and she said, Kim, I'm excited to roll out radical candor. I know it's going to help me build the kind of culture that will succeed, but I got to tell you, it's much harder for me to roll out radical candor than it is for you. And she went on and explained to me that as soon as she would offer anyone, even the most gentle, compassionate criticism, she would get slimed with the angry black woman stereotype. And I knew this was true. And as soon as she said it, she made me realize four things at the same time. The First was that I had not been the kind of colleague that I imagined myself to be, that I want to be. I had failed even to notice the extent to which she had to show up unfailingly cheerful and pleasant at every meeting we had ever been in together, even though she had what to be ticked off about, as we all do at work. But she wasn't allowed to show it the second thing that i realized was that not only had i been in denial about the kinds of things that were happening to her i had been in denial about the kinds of things that were happening to me (laughs) hard for the author of a book about candor to admit i'd been in denial but i had been (laughs) because i never wanted to think of myself as a victim now even less than wanting to think of myself as a victim that i ever wanted to think of myself as a perpetrator but i realized i'd been most deeply in denial about the kinds of things that I had done that harmed the people who I worked with. And last but not least, I realized as a leader, I hadn't addressed these kinds of harm in the workplace. And so I started thinking about like harm in the workplace sounds like a very amorphous big term. So I wanted to break the problem down so we could solve it. And I realized that one of the problems is that very often we conflate bias, prejudice, and bullying as though they're the same thing. And so if we can disentangle them, then we can respond much better. So that's, in a nutshell, what Just Work is about.
1: It's such a good book. I'm so glad I found it because I'm building what's, what I'm calling the rising leader Handbook. I'm writing that book and then building a program around it because it seems to be what I do for a living. I've talked about the difficult conversations. I'm getting to this part and how do you lead through all these things? And this book, your book came up when I was researching. I'm so excited. Would you come back on the show and talk specifically about that once I read it and well versed so that I can bring that out in the world?
0: Absolutely. I would love to do I'm that. It's not going
1: to say no because the mic's hot. And so, yeah, it's, it's,
0: it's, it's, no, like, but I, lo- I love talking about just work. It's really important. And, and, you know, radical candor is hard enough if you're talking about saying um too much. It's way harder to be radically candid with someone because you think they've done something biased or prejudiced or because they bullied someone. And so how can we how can we create the kind of environment where we can disrupt the bias before the bias disrupts us because it will. It's the it's the elephant in the room and we
1: need to address it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's amazing. Oh my god, I forgot my last point. That's so great. I love it. I appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate you sharing what you do. You know, I I know what I wanted. I wanted to give you direct feedback. I wanted Please. to tell you So what I've noticed in spending so much time with you because we're now really good friends is you bring this toughness. You bring this clarity to every, you know, to your talks and to your writing, but you also bring so much heart that it's so palpable it's not sugary, it's just real, like the difference between nice and kind. Yes. And you pepper it into your words and a uh, kind, you know, give feedback, make sure it's kind and clear. And I really appreciate that in the world because I I see too much of the pendulum swing, like all right, we're going to talk about harsh conversations. Let's yeah. you know, let's bring up that masculine harsh part, you know, and I love that balance and it it, it informs all your work. It's quite beautiful, so I can't wait to read this new book.
0: Well, thank you, thank you so much, and I hope you'll tell me what I could do to make it easier because it's easy. I make it seem easy. It's just this two by two, and you just have to choose the right vector. It is really hard to be radically candid, even though I wrote the book and I believe in it. It's hard, so I hope that you will let me know what I could do to help people understand more clearly what I mean that I don't mean.
1: I, I can I can tell you right now exactly that would what, be great. One of the things that I find really useful is doing some personality testing. So I use the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the Enneagram comes up with what's your core motivations? What was instilled in you as a child? Mm -hmm. So when you talk about, you know, what gets you grounded and centered, you know, for some people, I was talking to an Enneagram nine, who's the peacemaker and Mm -hmm. all hell was breaking loose at work. He just got back from Asia. All hell was breaking loose at, at home and all kinds of stuff. And he was handling all of it. Then his wife got mad at him. Yeah. Now, a peacemaker in Enneagram 9 can't stand disharmony. Yeah, He could handle all the things that were going on. When I was talking to him, he was exhausted and jet lagged. And I said, so what do you need? And I, I thought he was going to say, I need to go to the gym. I need, and I, I just waited. And he said, I need my wife to not be mad at me. Powerful, powerful man, right? And I, I was like, oh, Enneagram 9, their safety is harmony in the home." Yeah, so we just discussed how he could ask for that for his wife, his wife's wonderful, like, it'll be great. For me, like I'm an Enneagram too. I'm the happy helper. What do I need? I need to be told I'm making a difference. You don't even have to pay me. Just tell me I help. Tell me you can't live without me. And I'm good, right? So each personality type has trouble with a different area. So you would, you know, so as, and again, in, in the book, you say, learn, you know, know yourself, learn about yourself. When you So when you learn about yourself, what your Achilles heel is, what your landmines are, and you learn what other people's landmines are, now it's easier to have candor because you know, step around that one, right? And and so if you're giving me feedback, tell me how important I am to you. Yeah. And then you can tell me anything. Yeah. But if you don't tell me how important I am to you, lost. And you can't put like, you would have to have the Encyclopedia Britannica of radical candor to get that all in there. But that's yeah. a nice little touch is like, now, what are your triggers? What sets you off? What sets them off? Yeah. Right? What makes them feel safe? Now you can give them the feedback. You know, so when I talk about giving feedback to the CEO, you know, I, we, we create a boss empathy map. You mm-hmm. know, what, you know, what's your boss triggers? What does he value? What is, so now when you're going back, he or she, I have to make sure I do that. Are they? So what makes their shoulders go down and relax? Yeah. What well, makes yeah. their shoulders go up? Once you start to learn that, you know when how you can speak to your boss. So that's, that's, I think that's the only, the only feedback is as reading this is you got to know, you know, which buttons are going to be pushed because we're so many different flavors of humans. Like you were just talking about a black CEO. You and I would never have known that no matter how conscious we are, because we don't. it's not our lived experience.
0: Well, but- and the more you talk to other people and, and actually reading can get you out of your own lived experiences as <laughs> well as well. It's a great way to build that empathy muscle.
1: It is. It uh, is. is it's
0: talking to other people about their experiences, but also reading. You
1: can really expand. So if people want more of you, I should send them to
0: uh, send them to radicalcandor.com or
1: radicalcandor.com or,
0: radicalcandor.com or at Kimballscott or at candor.
1: Okay. We got you. I'm going to put all of that stuff in the show notes so people can have more of you. You promised on Mike to come back on the show and talk about your new book. Thank you for spending the time.
0: Thank you so much. Really enjoyed the conversation.
1: To everybody else, you know I love your time and attention. I appreciate you so much. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for joining us at the Mastering Overwhelm podcast. I really appreciate your time and attention. If you like the podcast, please share it. Please rate us on wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have questions, send them to mark and markjsilverman.com and I'll see if I can get that type of expert or answer the question myself on the podcast. Have a great rest of the day.